Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, he's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Alan E. Waller, Senior Pastor of the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're thrilled to welcome Dr. Alan Waller, the lead pastor at the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He's our guest today as we have a conversation around the pilgrimage of striving and thriving, a podcast of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society. Welcome, Dr. Waller, and thanks for spending time in conversation with us today. Well, thank you, David. I'm I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Wonderful. Well, you know, Doc, uh, more than 50 pastors have been working together on what we call a pilgrimage of striving and thriving. And we've been focused on flourishing in ministry. Our assumption is that every round does not go higher and higher. That flourishing in ministry requires both striving and thriving. And that flourishing in ministry can be understood like a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms, sometimes the leaves may be falling away, and sometimes there are only branches. Still, the tree can be healthy and thriving. You've had a number of years of effective leadership as a pastor. And so can you describe for us what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? Yeah, thank you for that, David. And, and uh, you know, it was interesting when you when you started talking and you gave the analogy of a tree. As I was listening to your definition, what came up for me was the roller coaster, uh, because it's. I mean, being in ministry is exciting. It's scary. Uh, sometimes you're going up. Sometimes you're going down. Sometimes you feel like you're being flipped around. So. Uh, but to use your tree piece, and it there are seasons. There are seasons. 
Um, but my definition of thriving would be knowing that you are being faithful to the one that called you to serve. Um, if, if I can get to the end of each day and honestly say to the best of my ability, I have been faithful to the one who called me to serve. That was a good day. Now, whether it was a good day by definitions of church growth and, and success and popularity, that those things don't count because they are seasonal and fleeting. But um, if I can look in the mirror, I can, I can hit the bed and answer that question. Was I faithful to the one who called me? Um, that's, that's thriving and flourishing in ministry because the call narrative is a very important part, I think, of this thing. I, um, I often go back to my call. It was radical, it was very real, and very visceral, um, meaning I, I accepted my call to ministry upon hearing the news of the death of my brother. Um, and it was an interesting experience. I'm at, I'm at college and I'd been wrestling with my call to ministry the whole year. And my brother, who was a pastor, would call me on college camp and say, Alan, you know, God has more for you than all this music that you're doing and playing in the club. And I'm doing all this. So one day a guy walks up to me and hands me a, a catalog for Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said, the Lord told me to give you this. And any other day back in those days, if somebody had told me what the Lord told them to tell me, I would have given them a mouthful. But I just took it that day. Later on, my mother had called my then girlfriend, my now wife of 31 years, and told her to tell me to call home, only to find out that my brother had passed. In that moment, the voice of God got so big in my head, and I could not divorce my brother's death from receiving this catalog and the other conversations I had with him. Um, God didn't kill my brother to call me, but that moment my heart was so open that I could only say yes. In those moments when it's hard to write a sermon or I don't know what to do, or I feel like I messed up, I go back to that call narrative and I remember, no, I was called to be here. You remember the old, there's an old song, the lyric said, I may not have done all I wanted to do, Lord, it's been a mighty good day. It's been a mighty good day. That's now, right. I'm dating myself, but that's all right. That's all yeah, right. But you dated me with you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that, but I wasn't going to tell it. So when yeah, you yeah. talk about be faithful, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Uh, I fundamentally believe that we are called to give God's word and live God's word to people. And, and love the people as we give and live the word. So I'm, I'm at a church where I was not called to grow it. I was called to feed those people the word of God and live it with them and love them. Sometimes it's really easy and sometimes really hard. Sometimes it's really fun. Sometimes it's really scary. Um, you know, thinking through as a pastor how to how to answer theological questions in, in different contexts. You know, one, one of the things that I, I, I like saying is, I'd rather be nice than right. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, 
when and and you know when when someone is sitting there dying and their loved ones are around there and they know the lifestyle of the individual and they they begin to ask about God's punishment and they begin to ask about scriptures and I'm thinking on on the one hand sometimes you find yourself wondering how do I answer this question in this moment and and what is most important in this moment um, that that's what I mean when I when I say faithful just every day is a new experience um, and and wanting to honor God in each moment um, is being faithful you're talking about uh, being faithful and one of the things that we've been uh, working with pastors around is something that we call a formula for flourishing not the formula but a formula mm -hmm. for flourishing and what it holds is that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields their ministry content there is a higher probability for flourishing another way of saying it is that if one builds one's ministry content out of capacity and context, then there's more likelihood that they will find flourishing. So we do not assume that it makes sense to try to drag and drop uh, ministry models. Um, so for example, you don't expect to see a palm tree flourish in Maine. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about how your context of service is related to your content of ministry thank you for that yeah i am um, and, and so so just a little background i have pastored two churches the my first pastorate was four years in a very small rural town denora pennsylvania just southwest of pittsburgh small mill town um, and then for the last 26 years i've been in philadelphia two completely different contexts. So I've lived the whole church growth thing, which I think we're not in any longer. And, and therefore younger pastors who are looking maybe at those of us who have gray hair now, and they're looking back on that, that mega church thing that happened and that church growth thing and are seeking now to say, how do we replicate that? I don't even think we're in the same context as that. In fact, those of us who built those large buildings are raising the question now, even more so after this pandemic, um, what are we gonna do with all this space? Um, and really thinking through our theology of faithfulness as it relates to buildings and, and how do we understand the use of sacred space um, when the culture is wanting more intimacy in smaller places in multiple um, worship services and so forth. So, I think we have to think contextually. Where am I? What are the needs of this moment? What is God doing in this place? So what that means for me is we have to not allow the television to define for us what number one flourishing or slash success is. Because I think far too many of us assume that thriving or flourishing means you got a big church. That has been sort of the mantra. And I've pastored both. I was in a flourishing ministry in Donora where 
it was going to be, you're going hard pressed to see a hundred people in church. So, so you can't talk about flourishing in terms of size and numbers, but you can talk about vibrancy in community where people are learning to love each other and love God, where people are, are trying to live out their individual call and connect it to the collective call of that church body. Um, that's flourishing. You understand what your particular gift is and your particular passion um, and take the time to marry the um, embedded theology of the people you serve with your embedded theology. Um, because often when you first get there, um, you get God's word, your word, and their word. And you want to try to kind of, the, the more you can get all three of them to be in the same room and get all of us on his word, uh, then maybe we can get some ministry done. And so that that's the challenge. And that's that's thriving. You know, I think the numbers game I think our generation, me and you, David, who are smelling 60, we, we, we bear some responsibility for this next generation's gate because in many ways we have defined flourishing in ways that I don't think God intended. Uh, and some stuff came in on our watch that I think we might have to give an account for. Because as I look back on ministry, there was some flourishing in Denora in relationships that I miss as the, as the lead pastor of a large church that has me being more administrative than pastoral at times. And so I was trained to be a hands-on pastor and now I find that I'm a right-brained person living in a left-brain world. And I miss just touching people. Um, so flourishing is being faithful, understanding your call, connecting with people, creating community, and that community representing God in the larger community. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world through prayer partnership, financial support, and technical assistance. We come alongside indigenously-led communities to support ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You can invest in churches, schools, clinics, and more throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for your partnership in this ministry. Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. 
I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Alan E. Waller, Senior Pastor of the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We've talked a little bit about content and, and context. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how the capacity of a pastor relates to the content of ministry? The leader of a thing determines the spirit of a thing. Um, and, 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 you know, the old boys used to say the congregation wants to see themselves in the pulpit. And so, you know, we did push, put onto the pastor some, some, unrealistic expectations of perfection and so forth. But there is something to be said for when people in the pew um, look into the pulpit, they, they do want to have some aspiration. Um, and, and so the extent to which a pastor is willing, is, is capable of growing and modeling, stretching, and learning and loving that gives permission to the rest of the body to do the same. What is just an example of something that can help us to see how your capacity informs some aspect of ministry? I think I do bring a unique, um, a unique leadership style that enables us to hold on to the old landmark, but boldly go into the new. Meaning I'm a church boy. My dad was a preacher. My granddad was a preacher. My great granddad was a preacher. I have grown up in this. Um, and my brother was a pastor. My uncles are pastors and I love hymns. And I think let Mount Zion rejoice after lift every voice and sing is a national anthem. And so, um, so I've grown up in this and, and I love the church. Um, and I think I understand it because it's, it's as much my culture as it is my theology. But I also have um, an ear to what is happening today. Now, granted, I speak that as a 56 year old man, so I know I'm, I'm grounded in some stuff, but in my younger days, I, I represented what was radical, fresh and new and different. But I, I understand how to, and did understand, and I think I do to a certain degree now, how to wed the two. And that's kind of how I live. There's a part of me that is always wanting to learn. I'm always wanting to stretch. Uh, at 50, I became a pilot just because I wanted to. Um, and, you know, as we're having this conversation, I've picked up the trumpet just because I want to learn. Um, and I think that is a unique thing that I bring to the uh, worship moment. Our worship experience is a wonderful um, combination of high church hymn traditions and speaking in tongues with a Kirk Franklin pre-sermonic selection. Um, 
and it fits because that's fundamentally who I am. Um, and I live into that and lead in that way. Um, so my, my martial arts experience um, allows me to think about manhood um, in fresh ways. I believe that the archaic stuff of Christianity and, and, and manhood um, and chauvinism has to be thrown out, but I'm, I'm a conservative theological thinker and therefore I, I live in the tension of not fitting in the camp of the Democrats or the Republicans and I lead in that way. And because of that, when you come to Enon, you are going to feel both the tension and the wonderful mosaic of ministry of being in a place that my grandmother and her great granddaughter will recognize as church. You're blessed to be in a, a, a platform uh, that is a sizable platform. And so from your perch, uh, when other people look at uh, Alan Waller and you know they look with starstruck eyes and all that stuff, would you help us by talking to us about an example of an area of leadership that you had to work to develop as yes. a pastor? Thank, thank you for that, because I'm scared to take too much credit. Um, because I, I am aware of my, my brokenness, number one, and my, my inability. And so a lot of what has happened in ministry has really been in spite of. Um, and one particular area is leadership. While I am a, I think I am a natural leader, meaning I think I'm, I have a charismatic, compelling presence when I walk into a room. I come from that camp that um, says leaders are born, not made. However, I am a, a poor manager. Um, and I have really struggled with the CEO administrative part of what it means to lead this church. Um, I've not done a good job with the hiring and firing aspects of ministry. Um, often, my pastoral heart has kept people way past their sell-by date and has frustrated others around me. Um, I can be impetuous and run off on my own unthought out in my head good idea. And so one of the things that I, I had to do is retool, particularly as the church grew. Um, it was kind of one thing to be a solo pastor with a, a few hundred people. But when I get on to having a staff, I now have 55 people on staff. Seven of them are full-time pastors. And I had to go back to school uh, because I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and what I did to retool is I actually went back to school to test my assumptions about leadership in a non-religious context. I went back to Harvard and did a certificate program that did lead to alumni status with Harvard Business School. I did the um, program in leadership development and took more classes to amass the, the um, alumni status. But I intentionally went to a non-religious um, context because I wanted to ask what 
what does real management look like and what is um, how much of what we do in church is harmful to leadership and how much of it, you know, how much do we depend on people believing that God is with us? And, and I think that that's important. But so I have gone, I have gotten coaching. I have gone back to school. Um, I make sure that I keep a pastor. And what I mean by that is my father was my pastor and then he died. Then I asked, you would know Reverend G. Thomas Turner to be my pastor. And then he died. And now I have a pastor's name is Charles Kwan. Um, and he is an older man. I believe all of us need somebody with more sunrises and sunsets than we have. And I, I allow him to hold me accountable and I run things past him. Um, and so the leadership is, uh, has been a difficult piece for me. At times I have not played well in the sandbox with others and I have not taken time enough to think my good ideas all the way through. And that has frustrated people around me. Um, and I'm grateful to have people who love me, but sometimes I have been that charismatic leader that doesn't consider that if I just said turn right, there's a whole train behind me that has to make the turn before I say turn left again. Thank you for, thank you for that transparency. Uh, that's very, very helpful uh, for us to, to know that everybody has places where we can grow and learn and we have to be intentional that's right. about firming up those soft spots or, or bridging those gaps. You've been a pastor uh, for a few decades. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? Wow. Um, now, this is where I'm going to sound unhealthy. Um, what brings me most joy, I, I, I love pastoring. And so I do love preaching. I love struggling with people. Um, you know, over our last couple of decades, you know, we've all been talking about um, being able to define ourselves outside of our titles, having lives outside of the church. And I believe that. Um, but quite honestly, I really love the church. And I mean, I really love being a pastor. I can say to you that I plan to retire in nine years. I am in no emotion, in no way emotionally ready for that. That's why I keep saying it because I know all the stuff. We've all watched the old boys and we've all determined that we're not going to be them. Um, but I like this stuff. I like preparing sermons. I like preaching them. I like traveling and doing three night revivals. I enjoy meeting new people. Um, but what I, what I really enjoy is the development, implementation, and expression of new ministry. Meaning it is, I think it is, a, it is somewhat, somewhere between um, a science and an art form to see a need, develop a ministry response, do the ministry response, adjust, fail, and then get it right. I'm excited about starting new ministries, trying, and that, that gives me joy. What advice 
would you like to give our listeners about what they can do to flourish in ministry? The advice that I would give is to develop a relationship with God. Um, and I know that sounds simple and sophomoric, but, but it, it really does boil down to a conversation and a relationship with God. I, each morning that I get up, I used to think that you can do it at any point in the day, but I am convinced the, the first three hours of, of the morning belongs to me and God. I get up before my wife, I get up and, and I spend time with God and I spend time in the things that, that make me comfortable um, and that inform me. So I'm, I'm up in the morning and I, I do my daily devotional, then I'll practice an instrument or I'll do a class of some sort of, do my workout or I'll address me. Um, and that is what's important because the landscape of your ministry is going to shift. You'll be in a church, you'll be in another church, you'll be in one city, you'll be in another city. You'll, you'll be in a moment in the church where all things are going well, then you'll, you'll be hurt by somebody in the church. It's just going to keep changing. It's going to be fun, then it's going to be hard. It's going to go fast, then it's going to go slow. Something has to be constant. Um, and, you, and you need something to hold on to. And that is a real relationship with God. Hone that. But also be aware of your own blind spots. We, we didn't have a chance to talk about it. But I also, um, I wrestled with a fundamental brokenness in my own life that I try to, to give other pastors permission to wrestle with um and and I, don't, I won't go far with this but um i wrestled with alcohol and that could have been the end of me as a person and could have impacted ministry um in ways that god allowed it not to i have health today and i thank god for that but you know, sometimes we're afraid to admit our blind spots or we're afraid to address our own brokenness. Most people think that brokenness is a pre-Christ thing, um, and that's not my reality. Um, I am grateful for friends and family who wrap their arms around me, uh, and I'm grateful for God who covered me in the midst of it. Um, but it also included me having to confess and, and be real about that. Um, I don't think we do enough talking about the suffering, the silent suffering that those of us who are on the stage deal with. And we have not given each, each of us permission to do that. Don't let your thing sit unattended because it can be, it can be as, as, as Jonathan said to David, this ain't gonna kill you, but you've, you've, you've given the devil an occasion. Um, and we don't, we, God has so much in store for all of us that choose to serve him. You don't need to let that thing cause you to not enjoy your journey with God. Address it. Um, 
and spend time with God and watch God work because he will. He really will. Thank you so much. We've been blessed to be in conversation today with Dr. Alan Waller, the lead pastor at the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's been a wonderful conversation and thank you for your wisdom uh, and thank you for your witness and thank you for this time of being with us today. Thank you, man. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Thank you.